This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. It's time for bookings. Welcome to Bookends with Ruth Todd and Moran Rout. Today uh, I have a, a junior fiction book, Moran. It's um, delightful. It's about a about a troll, and I didn't know much about trolls. Now I no, do. I'm not sure I know a great deal about <laughs> trolls either. And my book is something completely different. It's a biography of writer, poet, justice reformer, political activist Blanche Bourne, who lived for a long time out at Sumner, Clifton, and um, in her later years at Akaroa. The old place. Yes, well, I'm leaving the place. Apples look red on that bar. I set the slips with my own hand. Well, they're the other man's now. The breezy bluff and the clover that smells so over the land, drowning the reek of the rubbish that plucks the profit out of your hand. That bitter bush paddock I fooled myself and watched each year come clean. Found it look fresh in the tawny, a scrap of old country green. This air all healthy with sun and salt and bright with purity and the glossy caraca there twinkling to the big blue twinkling sea. I, the broad blue sea beyond and the gem clear cove below where the boat I'll never handle again sits rocking to and fro. There's the last look to it all. And now... For the last upon this room where Hetty was born and my Mary died and John, well, I'm leaving the poor old place and it cuts as keen as a knife, the place that's broken my heart, the place where I've lived my life. That was... Carol Markwell reading from a poem by early New Zealand writer Blanche Bourne. Carol has written her biography and it is quite a remarkable way that you came upon Blanche, Carol, and and her story. Tell us about that. Well, some years ago, I was researching and writing about a prisoner called Alice Parkinson, who had shot the father of her illegitimate child when he refused to marry her. And I I was looking at her. She was in Addington Reformatory in Christchurch. And I was looking at her prison experience. It was quite a celebrated case. It was a, she'd been um, in prison for life and was suffering. And I found Blanche Bourne who I knew as a poet, um, not just visiting her in Addington, but but actively taking part in efforts to get her free, to making her life in jail more comfortable. And I was I was intrigued by this. I thought, 
it's really interesting. What's this poet doing there? Um, and I just tucked that away in my mind because I was working away on Alice. Um, I wrote a play about her as well. And I made Blanche a character, which is interesting now. So, yeah, so you came later on when you'd finished that work, obviously Blanche stayed in your mind and you were driven to find out um, who she was, where she came from and how she ended up being such a such a um, active prison reformer or, a, you know, somebody who worked for prison reform. Yes, I, I just kept thinking about her and... Um, pondering about her. When I first looked, there wasn't a lot around, but um, when I came to do a book about Alice, I had another look at Blanche, and there was so much more. And after I finished that, I thought, I really want to explore Blanche's life. She was such a a rare bird in a way. Um, yeah, how easy was it to to find out information? Because she came to New Zealand with, and I'm not giving anything away, uh, a dreadful secret. Yes, yeah, she she did. Um, when I started searching in the Turnbull, I found she had a very disturbed family history. Um, uh, mental illness in her family, a mother um, extremely disturbed, um, death. Um, and I think maybe it was one reason that Blanche came. It was a long way away from England, from a, a troubled family background. Um, but she, also she was adventurous. She was keen always to explore, to find new things, to look at new things. So I think that was another reason she came. Yes, she was very well ed- educated for the time and um, and she did have some private income and that travel bug and her love of the outdoors stayed with her, didn't it? All of her life, yes. She um, almost restless in some ways at first. She came to New Zealand about 1900 was here for a while in Ormondville. She worked um, as a quite a well-educated young woman, but not very domestic. She got a job in somewhere near Ormondville, east coast, um, eastern Hawke's Bay, and um, worked for a family, helping the family, um, looking after children, doing a bit of cooking, um, always writing but still keen to explore New Zealand and um, not just New Zealand, but the Pacific as well. So it didn't take long before she was off again, um, exploring the Pacific, sailing around the North Island. Um, So, you know, eager, interested, lively, I think. Clearly. And it was when she came to Akaroa um, for the first time and found a, 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 a... a home, um, living with other people, Chalton, um, that she was able to really um, settle f- and make herself part of a community and really, you know, her her writing flourished at that stage, didn't it? It did. She loved, 
she loved it. She was at Chalton, um, Long Lookout Road, and she loved that remoteness, the beauty of the land, the dramatic landscape. Um, it was a new, it was a totally new world to her. So she had that. She had um, the Maori par at, at Panau, a lot of artifacts, a lot of interesting Maori things, things that were totally new to her. But also, the community at Chalton um, was lively fun, interested. They had glee evenings and gatherings at the school and and um, quoted poetry. Uh, so she had company, but she also had the piece to write in. Um, so I think she was really happy. Yes, yeah, she seems to have been. Yeah, and then she um, moved. Um, well, she 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 was a great walker and tramper, and and really interested in early early interest in conservation and in finding plant specimens. So all that took. Uh, she ended up here in Christchurch uh, on Clifton Hill for some time. Um, after a while, I think perhaps the peace and quiet of Chalton, um, she looked for more company, more stimulation, and she moved to, yes, Panorama Road, the top of Clifton Hill. And it was a thriving scene at that time of, of um, intellectual ideas, poets, gardeners, um, and she was right in there. <laughs> so... Um, Learn, and also keen to learn about the flora and fauna of New Zealand. So she was there with botanists and, and um, geologists walking the landscape, learning the names of the plants and flowers. Um, she was a bit remarkable. She was, that, yeah. I didn't know that she had such a career as a travel writer. Well, you know, um, publishing work on the great walks and things like that at this time. Yes, I think she discovered that she was good. A, she loved the outdoors, but B, she enjoyed writing about them. And she wrote, uh, she did a quite an early um, walk of the Milford Track. And of course she loved it. it was, she found it extraordinary. And she wrote a, a, a little piece about it called A Fine Walk. And she sent that to the Spectator in London, who had published stuff of hers before. But they called it the finest walk in the world. And um, ironically, in a way that some of her most quoted works that she never actually <laughs> said, the finest. <laughs> but but um, Whitcomb and Toombs in New Zealand picked it up and they published a little booklet calling it the finest walk in the world. And people loved it. New Zealanders loved it. Um, and she went on to do, I think, maybe eight altogether, more mm. of these. But it, by this time, she'd started becoming interested in justice reform and, and um, was one of the people who started the New Zealand branch of the Howard League. Yes, she... Um, a, a couple of young women found their way to her house up in Southerner and um, said they'd run away from, I think it was Burwood, one of the reformatory homes. And 
asked for her help. And I think that started her off looking at prisons and prisoners. Um, And gradually, more and more, she got involved. I think she felt in a world with so much need that just to be home writing poetry wasn't enough. She felt she had to give more. And um, and I think the prisons interested her. Um, her mother had been in institutions, not prisons, but institutions in England. And more and more she got involved with not prison aftercare, more looking at the whole prison process, the whole structure of it, and how it could be improved. And, of course, she was such a reader. She was reading magazines and articles from England and read about the Howard League for Prison Reform there and thought she should start one, or there should be one in New Zealand. Um, And nobody had started one. So she and one of her great friends, Berta Burns, got together and called a meeting in, in Christchurch in 1924, and that was the beginning of the Howard League for Prison Reform in New Zealand, and it's still going today. Mm, I uh, know, yeah, and very, yeah. very strongly. Well, yeah. we're nearly out of time, and we've only just got to <laughs> with some <laughs> of the most interesting bits, but she ended her life back in Akaroa, had a very, you know, a very... Um, busy and and involved and committed life as an older woman in Akaroa. And I, I think she died a very fulfilled woman, I would say. I think she did. She, she'd moved to a fairly tranquil stage by her old age. She loved, absolutely loved the garden. She had another, a house built in Akaroa, um, on top of a hill again, looking over the sea again, with a garden she planted out um, with, with a dog. She loved animals. She loved birds, surrounded by birds. Close friends, but living alone. Um, close, close writer friends, too, so she corresponded quite a lot. Um, Ursula Bethel, the poet, the well-known uh, Christchurch poet, was a good close friend. So, yes, tranquil, calm, not enjoying the, the limitations of old age. No. But accepting them, accept, you know, with a certain acceptance. Well, I have to say I absolutely love this book, Carol. I found out a great deal about Blanche. I have huge respect for her and for you for putting together such a, a wonderful biography. So thank you. Thank you, Myron. The book is called Enough Horizon, The Life and Work of Blanche Bourne. It's written by Carol Markwell and it's published by the Cuba Press. You're listening to Bookends on Plains FM 96.9. Auckland writer Leonie Agnew is a New Zealand writer to watch. With each novel, she explores intriguing new territory and surprises her readers' expectations. She's a primary school teacher, and in 2013, she was the University of Otago College of Education Creative New Zealand Children's Writer in Residence. 
She's written two other novels, Last Stand and The Impossible Boy, and has received Storyline's notable Juno Fiction Awards. And tell me what the UK David Fickman Master of the Inkpot Award is. I've never heard of it. Oh, um, so they're a publisher, obviously, in the UK, and they ran a competition for manuscripts from anywhere around the world. And then basically you get editorial feedback. Um, David Fickling is is quite well known amongst publishing yes. circles, um, and I won, which was was really oh, great. what a thrill! Yes, but um, well, a that's, tricky, that's so. a new one to me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, well, um, I already had the New Zealand publishing contract, and they wanted world rights, so I couldn't sign with them. But it was really, it was really exciting, and also to get the feedback from people that you really admire and um, and value. Yes, really, really I great. wonder what a what a sort of motivation. <laughs> To yes, keep no, going. It was very good. So, what drew you into um, writing for uh, writing junior fiction stories for, you know, the beginning children who are past picture books and onto chapter books, and um, and then some that are nearly at secondary school. That age group, um, it's quite a difficult one, isn't it? Um, I think it's an interesting question because I think you don't really choose. Uh, the genre, or in this case, the age group, no, um, kind of chooses you. So it's always been a hard question to answer because it's just what interests me. So uh, many years ago, when I started taking writing seriously, you know, I experimented and so forth. Yes. And it was interesting because with writing, I tend to put things away after I've done a bit of work, for, say six weeks, and come back to it, and then see what I think of it. And it, at that time, I wasn't when I came back to my work, I wasn't liking anything until I tried. Um, children's books um, or just a children's story obviously at that stage I wasn't really even thinking about being published I was just experimenting with writing and for the first time I I looked at something I'd written and thought okay there's something here Um, a sense that both I was still interested in what I've been writing and that maybe it was an area that I could improve on and it just it's a really hard thing to explain but I I really do believe we don't tend to choose as I said the genre or the age group I'm sure you're quite right it chooses it chooses you. <laughs> I think so. Although I do look back and think it was a time in my life where I really loved reading. Um, whether there's some connection yes. to those memories of stories and imagination, I think particularly that sort of eight to probably about eleven. Um, that's right. Yeah, and I was that's a big wonderful to have such. And, and uh, let's talk about the memory thief, your latest novel. Uh, Seth has been trapped behind the iron bars of the public garden for as long as he can remember, and by day he's frozen as a statue of a shepherd boy. But as soon as the sun sets, he roams the park, ravenously hungry. He's a troll, and the food he seeks is human memories. Tell me about trolls. I don't know much about trolls. I didn't until I read your book. (laughs) (laughs) No, neither did I. Um, It's a bit of a long story, but... Um, I at the time I really wanted to set a story in the Dunedin Public Gardens and where I was living they were very close and so um, as you mentioned I had the Otago residency so I was living in this little little place in Dunedin for six months and I didn't really know anyone there so I would go walking um, and it just it was a very atmospheric park it's the oldest um, botanical park in the country so it's very yes I remember design. it from university oh, days yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So, um, but I didn't have the right idea, and, and two things happened. One, um, I was up in Christchurch because I used to drive up to visit relatives, 
and I looked out the window and I saw what I thought was a person and then did a double take and realized it was a statue of a person, which is a bit fancy. But um, it immediately got me thinking, oh, I quite like the idea of a story about yes. statues that come to life. And the Dunedin Park has lovely statues. I hadn't quite made the final link. And I'd been playing around with memories um, for a separate reason, which is up in Auckland, we have a place in Howard called the Garden of Memories, where I used to play as a child. And that name, even as a kid, I used to try and write stories about the Garden of Memories. So I, I knew I was pulling all these things together. But I didn't have the trolls, which is really the finishing touch that pulled it all together. And that just came one night. I was um, just Googling, as you do as a writer, Googling ideas, stories. And I came up against trolls. I thought, I actually don't know the mythology of trolls at all. You know, vampires, werewolves, we know about that. Yes. And then different aspects of trolls from Scandinavian mythology suddenly fitted into what I needed for my story. So basically, when I read that they turned to stone, I knew I could use them. Um, in my book as um, statues that came to life. So basically I just kind of twisted the mythology slightly, like put my own take on it, I guess you would say, because um, my understanding of trolls before that was sort of like Lord of the Rings. And so I I sort of thought traditionally they actually stay like stone if they get caught in the sunlight. But my ones, when the sun goes down, they're able to come alive and they look like humans. Interestingly, in the mythology... Um, it does say that they can either be hideous or appear like humans. Yes. Um, and that was really helpful. And the other thing it said was that they're allergic to iron. And if you've seen the Dunedin Gardens, they do have iron fences. That's um, right. So I immediately thought, oh, that's fantastic. So he can't escape the garden because he can't get past the iron. Um, and I did fudge it slightly because obviously there's parts of the gardens which don't have iron gates because they're massive. <laughs> But, um, oh, it's a wonderful known. idea, magical idea. And then Seth, the troll, um, he comes and he uh, he meets Stella, who's about twelve, who lives nearby, and um, she's a, a fun-loving and um, very upfront young woman, young girl. And um, he doesn't want her memories. Uh, he wants to talk to her. He wants to her, a friend. Yeah. He wants to live in the real world. And um, the whole story is around, will he ever escape to do that? And we don't know anything, really. We just, it's a page turner. <laughs> I just wanted to know what <laughs> happens all the time and was loving the, the story. There's lots of humor. There's a delightful development of friendship. And um, there's other characters, other minor characters. But um, Seth is lonely, isn't he? Um, you see, I should just probably explain... Um, for anyone listening, that the memory aspect was that trolls, um, unfortunately, were carnivorous, and I decided yes. I didn't want to write Twilight Betweens. Um, so I didn't want him to be carnivorous in the usual sense. So he no. doesn't eat people. But what he does is, and he can't help it, is that if you share a memory with him, he takes the memory. He feeds on memories. That's so right. So that's why it's called the memory thing. And that's why it's a mixture of problems for him. As you said, he's lonely because, A, he's trapped in these gardens. He only comes out at night. But also this issue of if he does talk to someone, it's very hard to have a relationship with people if you're constantly taking their memories. And, of course, with Stella, um, he's finally met someone that he, he really thinks he could perhaps be friends with. But is it possible for for a young troll to be friends with a human? And, and I think where they find their common ground and how they get around these issues is, is certainly very interesting and adds to a lot of the drama in the story as well. 
because obviously it puts them both in a lot of danger. Oh, that's right, that's right. And I was delighted with the um, Karen Reinhardt's illustrations. They're yeah. seemingly quite simple, but they're not. Um, they're pencil drawings, really, aren't they? Uh, are they help? They help to build that tension in the atmosphere for me. I think he did a fantastic job. Um, I've never met him, but uh, I gather he lives somewhere in Wellington. And um, just yeah, when I saw the pictures come through, I was very happy. I think that's that's definitely one of my favourite covers. Um, oh, it's a beautiful just, cover. He knows I mean, how to can't tell people atmosphere. much about it on radio, but it just encompasses the whole story, really, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I think, as I said, the atmosphere of the park at night, he knows how to capture the sense of mood, but also mm. capture characters which have a sort of elven quality to them in their faces, which is this sense of otherness as well, which adds a sort of magical element to it, which, yeah, I think he did a great job. Oh, he did. So it's captivating, it's spine-tingling in parts, and it's surprising. It's a novel that holds your you spellbound. So what's Stella trying to forget? What are the memories that Seth is piecing together? And will he ever escape the lonely garden and start truly living? And I can't tell you anything about that because it's a must-read. And when the libraries open soon, again, I hope people will be able to um, look for The Memory Thief by Leonie Agnew. Thank you very much, Leonie, and I'm looking forward to the next one. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. It's nice talking to you. And join us, Moran Rout and Ruth Todd, next Tuesday on Bookends on Plains FM 96.9.